when you're a salesperson, you're expected to sell, period. But I got so invested in the medium and I started to love the medium so much and the people who were creating in it, nobody was going to pay me to do what I wanted to do. I at least wanted to decide who I got to work with because of what they had to say. I'd like to hear from more women, for example. And so nobody was going to pay me to have a say in content when I was a salesperson. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. My guest today has been on this podcasting industry journey with me practically since the beginning of my career as an entrepreneur, but she shares with us just how invested she was in what podcasters have to say and helping them keep it all going through ad sales and creating monetization opportunities for them long before she ever started her company, Lipstick and Vinyl, a female forward podcast ad agency whose motto reads, We live to give voice to the underrepresented. We see a future of media that is a true reflection of people who live in our society. Through podcasting, we amplify new voices, people like people who sound like them. I had the privilege of working to help create Lipstick and Vinyl's only original production, the only one in the room, of which I'm proudly still the executive producer. And if you've been listening for the past couple of weeks, then you've heard from both hosts, Laura Cathcart-Robbins and Scott Slaughter. Allison has recently made her official public announcement that she has sold Lipstick and Vinyl to the New York radio company Focus 360, and she has accepted an amazing new job at iHeart. The authentic telling of her journey is riddled with lessons and takeaways. If you're interested in starting anything, are ready to be bold and take the leap, or if you just want to know what it's like to be a woman in the sales industry, how to venture out on your own, and what it's like to be a part of a new media. I've learned so much by having Allison by my side, and I think you will too after listening to our conversation. I do want to note that we had some trouble with our recording platform, and unfortunately, Allison's audio isn't as clear as it normally is, so I do apologize for that. But we didn't want you to miss out on all of the awesome drops of knowledge you're about to hear. So here's my talk with Allison. Hi, and welcome back to Be Bold Begin. I'm Barcy, your host, and we are here with another amazing guest from the podcast space. She and I met sort of at the beginning of our respective businesses back in 2018. And we connected because she reached out to the manager of one of my clients looking to rep them for ad sales within the company she was building. And Larry Shapiro, shout out to Larry, who was this manager of my client, gave me a call and said that you two ladies need to meet. So we set up a coffee date and it was just fast friendship from then on with matching podcasts and all. (laughs) We both have matching black and white kitties. She has the girl, I have the boy, and they're the same age even. (laughs) So fast forward to now, and the company she built has been through quite a journey, including some big news that I will let her announce to you. But without further ado, the founder of Lipstick and Vinyl, my good friend, Allison Marino. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Very honored Yay. to be here. Yay. Yes. It was love at first sight. You, you left that part out. You're right. 
I did. But that that's what I was trying to allude to when I said it was a fast friendship. Yeah, I saw it your, was. We, we, first I saw your shoes and I just thought, well, this is a gal I can get down with. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the shoes. I have to say we we did gain or garner a little extra attention from places we go together. Where <laughs> like, oh, I remember you girls walking in in your pink and your big outfits. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So Allison, our lives probably crossed a few times in life, or should have, I should say, because we're also both from Riverside, California. Shout out the, to I. the 909. <laughs> That's right, which is now the 951 in That's some right. parts, right? Yeah. That's, that's right. <laughs> so can you just share with us a little bit about your background and how you ended up working first in radio sales? Sure, I'd be happy to. I um, I grew up, like you said, I spent my formative years in Riverside, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, I suppose you could say, about 75 miles east into the desert from here. My high school was um, not very prestigious at all, to say the least, but I loved it. And I went to college here uh, locally. I went to Cal State Fullerton. I really didn't know like how it worked that you could like get loans and go somewhere far on an airplane because I really hadn't had any experience on airplanes uh, up to that point. So, yeah, so I always loved Los Angeles. Um, after college, I lived and worked in Orange County for a time, and then I started working in media in L.A. So the first job I had in media was I spent a year working in production at the Late Late Show. So it was when Craig Kilborn changed to Craig Ferguson. It was an amazing experience, but I got really tired of making like 400 or $450 a week and I couldn't survive anymore. So real quick, how did you end up there? That that sounds like a really cool job that I bet people are like th- those of us that want to get into media. It's like, how do you start? How do you get there? How did you start? How did you land that? Social media, even way back then, this was in 2005. And on Friendster, somehow I met this guy and we started talking and he was a writer for The Late Late Show, but he was my age, super funny guy. And when I told him that uh, I was looking for a job in LA, I mean, I'd already had a professional job at this time working in marketing for PacSun, the clothing retailer, which was really fun. So I'd already had a professional job, but um, I needed to start at the very bottom if I wanted to work there. He said, well, you could probably be a talent assistant or something. And it really truly is not about who you know in entertainment. It's about who knows you. So because this guy, Joe, knew me, he got me an interview with the, the woman who was um, the assistant to the host. And she really just really liked me. I mean, I came in with like a a suit and high heels and my little portfolio of like random graphic design that I'd done. And, you know, and then I accepted a job. I think I was able to negotiate from 400 to 450 because I had been, you know, a professional before. So I uh, took a big piece of humble pie and yeah. So the answer is social media, a good old now defunct friendster. I love that. And I love that the reframe of like, it's not who, you know, it's who knows you because it's true. Because it is about showing up and finding a way to be remembered and making the making the connection. Because there's lots of people in my phone book that I could probably text and they probably would remember who I am. But then there's those that would because we spent time making that connection happen. And that's a different that's 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 where it where the magic can happen or where the opportunities can keep coming. So I'm, I'm really glad that you pointed that out. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I think anytime you spend time authentically making a connection and, you know, whether they can do something for you or not, I mean, there's a whole other, I guess, road to go down of who's worth your time and who's not as, as gauche or rude as that sounds. And it's something we really have to learn that I've, you know, taken a career to learn. Well, that's, you know, our energy and time are precious and having boundaries around where we put that and what we extend is, is important. And I think it's difficult for all of us to navigate at times. So yeah, yeah, you're right. It it sounds harsh, but it's, it's not, it's just protection. It's just the truth. (laughs) It's just the truth. It's just the truth. And it's like, out there. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so go on, I jump back into your story. So we, we've got the job at the late, was it the late, late? The late, late show. Yeah. The late, late and, show, and it was time to move on. It was time to move on. And so a guy, uh, it's again, it's all about who knows you. So the next job I got was a guy who, when I worked at PacSun, he would call to try to sell radio advertising to me and PacSun, like we advertised on the, on the ESPN or EXPN X games. And we advertised with teen people and teen Vogue and we didn't do any radio, but he called and he had this mix master mic, like the DJ from the beastie boys. He was trying to sell me a mix master mic sponsorship. And because I am a big beastie boys fan, I would take his calls. So I was at the X games in uh, Philadelphia And he came from New York to meet me again, trying to sell me something or other, another guy that I was kind of romantically interested in and vice versa, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So this one also came through a guy, uh, but he, he thought, you know, you, he kept telling me you'd be a great salesperson. You'd be a great salesperson. So I was really scared, but the woman that ran the office for Westwood one in LA, a big radio network that still exists and, and does a lot with podcasts as well. She really talked to me into coming there. She said, you'll, you'll make the most money you've ever made in your life. With media sales, you can really do well. And, you know, I think you'd be great to, to have on the team. So, so I took her advice, and, and then she taught me how to sell. And it's hard to be a salesperson who doesn't sell anything at first. It's really hard. It's kind of depressing. But I read all those goofy sales books and, you know, just kept making, at that time, it was making phone calls. It was horrible because you're like mm. in this big open space with everybody can hear you. Like the whole thing back then too in this office was you don't get an office. Offices are for closers. So once you started closing videos, you get an office. But until then, you have to sit like in this bullpen and be like, hi, this is Allison calling from Westwood One. Blah, 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 blah. And wow. it was just ugh, stomach turning. But eventually I closed some deals and got my office. Ah, that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. So I have to ask because sales happens in so many types of businesses. If you could give like the one, two, three in like a couple of short sentences, what can you do that? What would they be? How to be a good salesperson? Yeah. Like how do you close? You connect with the person, find some common ground because it's humans doing business with humans. You, you listen to them and you try to find out what's important to them. So after connecting, I would say, if we're going to say bullet points, a needs assessment or listening, because what you really want them to tell you, like let the client talk. So many salespeople do what is called in sales, show up, throw up. You don't want to mm-hmm. do that. Like if the client is taught or the prospect is talking to you, let them talk because they're telling you how to sell to them. So whatever their problem they're trying to solve is, that's what you want to find out, you know, because sometimes you don't have the right thing for somebody and that's okay. Move on. 
but you're trying to find the problem that they're trying to solve. And then, so the third thing is, you know, deliver them something that, that solves their problem. Nice. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. But it, it sounds basic, but it, but it, we don't think of it. If we're not approaching it from that basic standpoint, then it's so easy to lose our way, I think. And I think this goes, this could be applied to networking. This could be applied to yes. conversations, yes. even friendships. I mean, really in so many areas. So I heard you say, make the connection, listen and hear what they want, right? Like, what do they need? And then see if you have a solution for them. It's, is it, are those the three points? That's exactly right. That's awesome. Thank you. I, I love that. You're welcome. Yeah, you too can sell a ton of radio. I mean, like, I think it's a good thing, too. I keep seeing, like, women on Twitter and other places say normalize talking about salaries. And so uh, I talked about already my job at in TV where I made $450 a week. When I started at Westwood One, I made – this was in 2005. I was 25-ish, mm-hmm. 25, 26. I was 25 for most of the year. And my salary was $65,000 a year. And that was my base. But then I, I worked there for five years. And so one year I made like 98, then I made 150, then I made 198. Like I did make so, so much money. It was like an amazingly fun time. So when I, when I left there, my best year was made, I made almost 200,000. It was 198. And I was like 29 years old. It was amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, so sales can be really, really um, lucrative for sure. It's not easy, but it's also not rocket science. You can sell anything. You know, once yeah. you can sell one thing, you can sell anything. So it was really, really cool. And that woman who, you know, my who became my boss, she really did keep her promise. She taught me how to sell, and then I made the most, you know, that I had made in my life. So that was really, really cool. Was that a rewarding? Was it rewarding to be in a job where you saw that conversion happen on oh my god it was like so cool yeah because you could like when I finally learned like how commissions worked like when they started rolling in and you know I didn't know the math it's very complicated you make three percent five percent whatever on the net amount of blah 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 like I didn't get it I was just kind of like waiting to see what happened Mm. I got it after a while but like I my first commission check that came in I bought myself a um uh, an iMac and I was so thrilled because it was like oh my gosh I have an extra $1,200 this is incredible <laughs> like I had no money before and I grew up with no money you know I was just used to having no money so it was really really exciting and you know then to be able to go you know get on an airplane when I wanted to was another huge rewarding thing that I had never been able to do before just to have the money to not you know if you got a cavity and you need to have your cavity filled or if you got a flat tire or whatever it was really exciting yeah to take care of yourself yeah. And in addition to there's a comfort in not having to worry about surviving anymore. Huge, huge, huge security that I, you know, then the downside of that was became I really became like terrified of losing it. So you figure it out. I relate to that. I just that's that's actually really interesting that you bring that up, because I think a lot of us suffer from one or the other, like, especially those of us who end up um, sort of finding something along the way that works, that, that we're fighting for. Let's say we get that, we have that reward. And then that scarcity mentality doesn't just disappear. It may even increase. And I've experienced that at times and it's up and down. And sometimes I really can let go of that. And then other times uh, I feel like I don't have any money, even though I have the most I've had at any given point, let's say, then in the past when I felt fine about it. So it's interesting and strange that this happens. That That's my experience. Can you 
share a little bit about what that was like for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it reminds me of something, again, like I was taught to sell by like some old school radio salespeople and they're gnarly. They're just like, it's very cutthroat. (laughs) It's very, you know, because you're like, it's it's very competitive. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) one of the sales managers used to say, you want to hire a salesperson with really expensive habits. You want somebody who golfs, who scuba dives, because then they have to like keep up their lifestyle. But I think it's very, very easy to just completely, you swell to meet whatever it is you're making. So you probably have more expensive habits now, or you buy more expensive groceries, or you, you know, you're more free with your entertainment. Um, You just, you just rise to meet the level, no matter how high it gets. Mm, Interesting. So you think it's just this feeling of, of, of like, okay, I have this much more. So the, the margin stays the same. It sounds between like, what you have that makes you feel secure. I certainly like I bought my first Lexus, like I was driving a Mitsubishi when I started at Westwood One. Mm -hmm. But then I remember I was getting a big windfall, I was getting like an $18,000 commission. And so I called this financial advisor that I had hired. And I said, I'm getting this big windfall. Can I buy a Lexus? He's like, sure, buy a Lexus. So, you know, I mean, saving for my future, but uh, which is important, definitely when you start making enough money or even before you start making enough money, but saving for the future is important. But yeah, so I bought a Lexus. So like if I, if I happen jobless today, it's so much more expensive. My life is than if I was jobless when I was 26, because I had, you know, a smaller place to live, less expensive car, you know, just I didn't put Botox in my face, which is, you know, expensive. I just so many things that you just kind of your lifestyle expands to fill. Right, right. Let's bring it back to what happened next. So you were working at Westwood One. Yeah, I was then in 2010, the wheels kind of started to fall off network radio. And I went to work for my biggest client who at the time was into it. So they make TurboTax and QuickBooks. So Mm. that was cool. So when I started there, I made let's just keep going with this money thing. So when I started there, I made $125,000 as my base. But then I think I had, I think I had either a 25 or $50,000 like bonus on top of that, that I could get. So it was really exciting then too, because I had a $65,000 base before. So if I like, you know, it was just nice to not have the pressure of having like to make commission. And, but it was an incredible experience because I, I was the person who at this company who spent at the time $200 million on media, I was the person that got to like evaluate and hire uh, their, their ad agencies, people who are buying the media and, you know, do the big kind of media negotiations with Google. And at the time, AOL, gosh, media changes so much. <laughs> it's wow. so, so different than when we're talking about it. Yeah. So, uh, so I learned a ton. I used to be on the outside selling. And so to be able to look under the hood of like, what makes all these different things tick and what's important to, you know, an agency, you know, versus a, a brand versus the media seller was really, really cool. So I did that for three years. Wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That was until 2013. Okay. Was there a big difference between like brand selling versus like looking under the hood, like you just said? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're a salesperson, you don't know, like, ever, they don't tell you what their budget is. Mm. They don't tell you, like, like, you don't know how the agency's being incentivized, you know, like, you don't know if they're making a percentage off of the amount of media you sell them, or if they're just being paid a flat fee. So to know, like, what makes the other side tick, to know how much budget, you know, you're working with, um, as the client, as the brand, to know how you pay your agencies, and it just, it gave me a really, really 
like soft, gushy spot for agencies because they have such a hard time, you know, just being paid for their work and like being valued for their work, creative work, like the people who come up with commercials and write ads and and set up photo shoots. It's just very commoditized and they have, you know, thinner and thinner margins. And so it gave me a really good appreciation for ad agencies and how hard they work for the money that they make and how hard that brands are on their agencies. Wow. So you got a real whole picture there from to one to the other. That's really fascinating. And yeah, that must have been really um, revealing to see it from that side. Yeah, it was. It was also really educational, too, because I was dealing with like digital buys. So I was selling radio where I was selling like rating points and, you know, costs per thousands, which is a truism across every media, but like cost per points and and just negotiating only in a traditional radio world. So to learn how to buy digital display or a Yahoo homepage takeover, again, it sounds old and clunky now, but those were the things that, you know, were big deals, was really, really cool, too, because I thought, well, if I'm going to put this radio life behind me, ha ha ha, uh, (laughs) I'm going to need to learn some digital stuff. So it was cool for that, that reason, too. Oh, wow. Okay. So were you planning to move away from radio sales yes. or radio as a company and you wanted to learn something digital? So I'm really curious now, yes. what was what did you have on the forefront that you were hoping to sort of lean into? I never had a master plan. I really, really didn't. I just knew that I was going to need to learn some media that was not old fashioned radio. That's really, that's still so intuitive though. And I think ahead of the the edge there, having the edge, I should say, and ahead of the curve and knowing that like something was going to change, that something was on the forefront, maybe. I think that's still very well, it's telling. It's so funny because I would love, I would love to take credit for that, but that's not what happened. <laughs> I just kind of, you know, it just <laughs> felt right at the time. I was, I'm, I'm not the kind of entrepreneur that sees around corners. I can see it once it's like rolled up into my, into my view. But, but it was cool I'm because still going to give I, you credit for that intuitive thing because that's something that I comes am, from our yeah. gut. And you can't take that away yeah. from you. I can't take away that gut feeling from you, whether you knew what it was going to be or not. Most people don't. I, I still, I'm still giving you that credit. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I feel two inches taller. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I, it's funny that you, it's kind of a nice transition because the next step was I... I didn't think that working for a software as a service company really was my personal brand, which was insane Mm -hmm. because that company, I made great money. I had tremendous benefits. They had so many resources, like, you know, it's software as a service. They just have all the money. So, but I didn't think it was my personal brand. So um, I jumped without a net. I left before I had a new job, which I don't recommend ever, ever. And I went on this amazing vacation with my boyfriend at the time. And then when I came back and like reality, you know, kind of set in and I had to find a job, it took me a while, but the people who were interested in my resume were these fledgling little tiny podcast companies because my resume was network radio. It was radio that you sell nationally. So it wasn't selling for one radio station. It was selling like NFL football across the whole country or selling you know, NCAA basketball or Grammy programming, but it was selling it across a whole network of national stations. So podcast being national and me understanding how an agency works and how a brand works, these podcast companies, it was mid-roll at the time and, um, and mm-hmm. podcast one. And they, they both offered me the same amount of money, which was $90,000. You know, I just left like what I'd left, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, it turned into these, you know, these were the people that were interested in my resume. I could sell nationally. And so, um, so that's what I did. I, I chose, um, I chose mid-roll because at the time podcast one just had a bunch of wrestlers, pro wrestlers on their lineup. And I didn't feel any connection to that. And so I went with mid-roll. The guy at mid-roll, um, Lex Friedman, shout out to Lex, who's still a friend. Yes. Shout out he to Lex. Was, he, yes. He was the, the only other salesperson that was there when I got hired. And he, of course, was um, in New York. I'm in L.A. But I sat outside the office of Adam Sachs, who was the CEO. And we were just a very small team at the point we were bootstrapped. And when I look back after starting a company of my own, I mean, if you were working for a bootstrap startup, that means they've taken no money from anybody else, right? They're like doing it all, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. They paid me a mm-hmm. salary. They paid me commission. They paid my health insurance. Like I look back on that and I'm just like, wow, I just appreciate it so much because that's hard to do. And there were like, you know, I think when I got hired, there were 25 or 30 of us. Wow. Now there are hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're big now. And you're right. I didn't know they were bootstrapped. I didn't know a lot of that story, actually the details of that story, I should say, because I've known you for a little bit now, Allison, but it's fun to hear sort of the... The, all the details to the journey. I, I know parts of it, right? I know the big chapter turns, but this is fascinating from for anyone who's interested in business, I think, because you see how, one, how you can create a path that feels right, that you can just kind of keep exploring and, and get somewhere and grow and have experiences and that there's companies that show up like this bootstrapped little company called Midroll. And if you're in the podcast space, you might know that name. It's they're they're huge now. They're one of the biggest players, right? They were they were um, first got bought by Scripps, an old fashioned media company that owns like the Food Network and TV and radio stations. And then after that, just um, just a few weeks ago, the deal was completely closed, where they were then acquired by um, SiriusXM. So yeah, yeah, for a couple hundred million dollars. It's amazing. That's a really cool journey for that company as well. Yeah, it was cool to have that experience. And that you were there in the beginning, like the very, very beginning. Super cool. Yeah. And I love that mm-hmm. experience where it was like, you know, at that time, I mean, just think of now they have studios in New York and LA and they have, you know, they put on huge festivals and they have 250 shows wow. and blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they do like, they, they are responsible for selling My Favorite Murder and Office Ladies and Mark Marin and just a ton and, you know, like back when I was there, we, we needed to print something. We're like, oh, my gosh, somebody's got to go to Staples and buy a printer. So I don't think I ever would have started my own company had I not been there to see what they did and how they did it. Fascinating. OK, so let's jump to that. Your story for wanting to start your company. So I, I'd like to know a little bit more, just like all the, the journey I just heard. I Like I said, I, I know the chapter turns, but I, I want to hear what the pivotal moment was for you to make that push, the, the leap into entrepreneurship. It seems like the the leap from the the company that you're like, this doesn't feel aligned for me anymore. So you took a leap like that once before that was a pay cut and working for a new media and things like that. So what, what was the thing that caused you to kind of jump again and take a leap into something brand new? Good question. I spent a good amount of time. I, I think part of it was, I don't want to say naivety. But it was a little bit of immaturity, I have to say, and a little bit of, I think, misplaced resentment 
because I spent time at these, you know, various stages of podcast startups from bootstrap to just working on just to receive series B to, you know, to having a major investor. And so I saw different paths along the way. And I feel like I was really in at the beginning of it turned out, you know, from 2014, when I started in podcasts at Midroll to zoom ahead to now the beginning of 2018, like, I knew all the people doing all the stuff from the start. Like when we didn't have ratings, like I called Nielsen and I'm like, Hey Dave, like we need to figure this out. You know, and I'm not saying I figured it out, but like it was so small then that we all knew each other. And I felt like, Hey, I have something of value for this wow. medium that like, you know, I, I mean that other people just don't have because it's so new. And I just felt like when you're a salesperson, you are encouraged because you know, you, you have a responsibility and a number against your head, you're expected to sell, period. But I got so invested in the medium and I started to love the medium so much um, and the people who were creating in it and have a real, you know, really want to support them. Nobody was going to pay me at that point in my career. I guess I was like 39, I think, 38, 39. Nobody, yeah, 38 or 39. Nobody was going to pay me to do what I wanted to do, which was, have a say in like I didn't want to necessarily produce but I at least wanted to decide who I got to work with because of what they had to say so all these you know programs that were being greenlit when I worked for others were stuff that I thought oh that's gonna be really hard to sell or that's just like all the other stuff and there just seemed to be a hole like where my interests happened to lie like I'd like to hear from more women for example and so nobody was going to pay me to have a say in content when I was a salesperson on paper and in my, my resume. So I thought, well, I'm just going to try it out on my own. I saw these other people do it. Why can't I? And so one of my mentors, who is the founder of Podcast One, Norm Pattis, he knows me well. I know him from my days at Westwood. When I told him I was going to do this in the spring of 2018, he said, Allison, do you want to know what I think? And I said, Norm, of course. And he said, get a fucking job. And so... Nonetheless, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he said, you know, you're not starting off with any capital. You don't have the money to compete these days. You know, Wendry had just gotten five million at that time. And, you know, like people were starting to play bigger with bigger checks. And, you know, it was before even Spotify. And, um, you know, he said, there's no way. So mm -hmm. each time I've had a victory along the way, Norm's one of the first to know about it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that there was someone there to kind of bounce something off of. But so, okay, so let's recap real quick. So you weren't seeing content that you wanted, that you weren't particularly excited about coming through the doors of the job that you were at. And this is in the podcast space when you were working at Podcast One. It was, yeah, I did an assignment there for six months because, I mean, without going in all the details, Norm was going to help fund a company of my own in the summer of 2017. It didn't end up working out. So he's like, you know, a good friend and he didn't want to leave me hanging. So he said, come work for six months, which ended up being a really great experience because of what I got to do there. Um, and so when that six months ended, I was like, I was like, seriously, you're just going to let me go. <laughs> and yes, Allison, we said six months. Goodbye. Thank you. And so when that happened, I just thought, well, I got to create something for myself because I know how to do this. I know what needs to be done. I've been part of teams that did it. 
and I'm going to take all the best things that I learned from those other folks and add, you know, my own dashes where I think appropriate. Like I'm going to create an ad product that is exactly what I've been asked for by all of these agencies over the years. I'm going to give them exactly what they want. Super, super easy. And that's what I did. What was it that they were asking for that you wanted? To it's say? just super, super straightforward. They just wanted a host to read the spot. They wanted the host to try the product. They wanted it to be 60 seconds. They wanted a cost per thousand that worked. And they, you know, if, if, an, if an ad under delivered, they wanted to be made up. No problem. We'll make it up. You know, they just, they just mm. wanted to be treated like human beings. And so to be able to have the authority to say yes when the right thing to do was say yes, was one of the things I was most excited about. Wow. So from like this internal agency to agency or brand, but you wanted to serve the the client, the brand yeah. client. Yeah. Hiring. Yeah. And, and because the agency people too, they know exactly what they're doing and why make their job harder. It just seems so easy to give them what they're asking for. You know, I think in other organizations I'd worked for that were bigger, sometimes there was just a disconnect, not through a fault of anybody, but it was just like the people that were controlling the inventory and controlling the impressions weren't talking to the people who talked to the talent who were like, hey, this brand really wants to work with you because they like this about you. Like just adding that human element along the way Mm. is really important and really can make the whole experience better for everybody. So being very small operation, I was all that person, all those people. So I just kind of got to do that. Yeah, and it makes sense coming from the background you have with sales where you that that is yeah. how you were working with your your in your sales position was like how can we make this work? It's like wanting to serve the person on the other side of the yes. phone, the phone line, the email, whatever it is. It's like, well, what do you need and how can I give yes. it to you? I'm hearing that through this this sort of building you got me, Barcy. what you were building at the time. It, it Makes so much you got sense. me. You found a through line that I hadn't so found cool. myself. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Well, that's really cool. And it makes a lot of sense that someone like you who worked every angle, you know, like you said, under the hood with with these sort of bigger once you got into that that larger level and then starting from a place of like ground up and then seeing like you said, different levels of companies from bootstrapping to series B to, you know, things getting bought out eventually. But I see where the, the the pathway of starting a company feels very doable and feasible. And it's like, I know how to do this job. And I know what the company from the inside out looks like from this stage to this stage. And not to say that any of that is easy, but when something starts to make that much sense, I, I can understand the, the the want to kind of dive in and see what happens. So I commend you for following that that sort of thread that you were feeling because uh, again, not easy, but doing something like that, people don't do it because they know it's not easy. So I, I'm, I'm just so proud of you and what, what you've created, which we're going to get into more. But uh, I want to talk about the content that you represent a little bit, because now that we understand how this all came together and how you wanted to serve the brands, there's the content that, and the hosts, the podcast hosts that support it, right, that have that other exchange. So that's the other component. So how you mentioned earlier that you wanted to hear more from women and lipstick and vinyl, the ad agency you built was very female voice focused and just underrepresented voices in general as well. So what was it about that, that you landed on to brand everything around, to wrap everything around? So 
I started Lipstick and Vinyl, yes, wanting to have a say in the content. And so for me, just like you said, I wanted to find podcasts, people who were already making podcasts. That's an important piece of this because I, without you, don't make things. <laughs> I have a particular, <laughs> you know, like skill set. So it had to be podcasts that were either going to start already without me for the most part or were already existing and that I, what I have to offer a podcast is I can help monetize your audience. And so it just kind of organically happened that the shows that I started working with were women. Like when you open yourself up and start saying what you're doing to people, honestly, like the people that you have in your life from your professional life, it's incredible how they like rise up to help you. Like, oh, well, you should meet this person I know. Mm. And my friend and your friend, Josh Levine, are, he's super good at that. Well, he's who introduced us to Laura from the only one in yeah. the room. And that's how that got made. But yeah, so he's a really right. good connector. And he introduced me to a woman who runs a magazine called Dame Magazine. And she was just starting to make these podcasts and really, you know, important shows about politics from a, a woman's perspective and other really important issues like food deserts. So she came and we started working together and she had one podcast and she had two. And then she brought in this other woman who had like eight. So all of a sudden I had a network. So then I could go to agencies. I thought I could go to Veritone and add results and say, hi, it's Allison. We've worked together for years. Here's something for you to buy that I'm representing, you know, and I thought they would buy it, but they didn't because I kind of feel like maybe they don't know if like, this is just an out of work salesperson saying they're doing their own thing, you know, and maybe this will pass. So it took a little while. It took a few months, but it didn't take a, a long time. It took a few months, but each, so we're in our third year now and each year we continue to, you know, get more and more business from these big podcast agencies because they know lip sync and vinyl. They trust us. They know that we're going to, you know, do what we say we're going to do. And we are going to be easy to work with. We have quality content that reaches a female audience, which is a really, really valuable thing in media, especially in audio media. It just radio skews male. And so podcasts still slightly skew male, just ever so slightly. But nonetheless, a female audience is really valuable to a brand. So it just sort of organically happened. Yeah, just kind of, you know, it was kind of an easy thing to get behind as a woman myself. And, you know, and that's where I kind of feel like I had some misplaced resentment. I feel like when, because when I look back now, the management team at Midroll, at ACAST, at Podcast One, like I wanted to be part of the management team, but I think my approach was really, really poor. And I think I was, you know, maybe too aggressive and maybe too um, just, kind of like stomping into a room like without reading it in a way and I was not mm. patient enough to just do my job well and have that be noticed because I felt like I don't know I felt like I was in some sort of a hurry I was in my 30s and I felt like I've already waited my turn and you know it's being impatient and stomping into a room before reading it is not the way to get ahead in life and in business so I think I had some resentments toward the men who were at the top of these media companies when I probably need to take more responsibility for like how my path, you know, turned out or didn't turn out while I was there. Nonetheless, it caused me to, you know, start a company and 
have a great experience learning all the stuff I thought I knew but didn't. <laughs> Do you find that the the journey, the entrepreneurial journey was humbling then? Oh, yeah. Super humbling, but also super empowering because one thing that's cool when you start your own company is that like all of the meetings that I wanted to be in on when I worked for other people, like the high level strategic meetings with outside companies or outside partners, I so badly wanted to be in those. And um, when you're the decision maker, when you're the top of the heap at a company, that's who you get to deal with. So I just got to have all these meetings that I always wanted to have. So that was, that's been a really cool thing. I've got to make really good relationships. And also it's like the people who started out when I started out, we've like been through all this together. So now they're higher up in their companies. And so it's been really, really cool. And I've been able to have some conversations that, you know, I've learned a ton from. Um, but then at the other end of the spectrum, it's like, how am I going to eat next month? And how am I going to pay myself and, and, you know, just survive. So humbling, but also, but also empowering. Definitely. Yeah, I said so many things there that I could, that I want to break down. But yeah, (laughs) (laughs) just I relate to the to both of cool, (laughs) to both of those things. It is humbling. And it is so empowering to to do your to do something on the terms that you believe upon like the thing that is you know the the way you feel you've always wanted things to be done and also to learn through the experience so there's the personal experience around that and then there's this media that's very special because it's new and everyone is growing up together and I really respect and admire that you were able to I started early but you started very early from the inside out and I'm content creator so it's I feel a little outside in when it comes to the business of it um originally at least and having that that experience from the ground up when it was really just starting I I I love going to a conference with Allison Marino because <laughs> Everyone knows who you are, and it's so heartwarming, honestly. And I just, Aww. it makes me smile and it makes me proud. And it, it, it's, I love the fact that I get to walk around with you and call you my friend and know that you oh my have clout in those rooms. And it, it, it's really special. And there aren't many areas in the world left where this gets to happen and where you get to grow yeah. an industry together and grow up together. It's really special. So I just wanted to share that with you. Oh, wow. That was the nicest compliment ever. That was the nicest compliment <laughs> ever. Can you please soundbite that so I can share it everywhere so I can amplify that? <laughs> that's really nice of you. 100%. That's... <laughs> I will be happy to. It's like the thing I'm really most proud of, as goofy as it may sound to other people. But um, that means so much to me, what you said. Thank you. I do mean that. And I... and. It, it, it's just so true. And I, I can, and just to add to that, the, the knowing someone part or, you know, having someone know you in spaces where we, we might be new or we're trying to grow, you've definitely helped my path, my journey so far and had some really, really wonderful experiences because of the connections you've made for, for myself and my company and my brand. So Yay. it's been just that much brighter to to have you you know by my side with your matching cat likewise well it's great to have you by my side and it's funny to hear you say that you feel like you're from the outside looking in because the creator is always like the the juicy stuff like that's always the the gem the jewel in the middle of everything and so 
from a business perspective, I always feel like, you know, I have to prove myself to creators. Like I'm not a sharky salesperson, even though like on your behalf, I will be a shark, but you know, I, <laughs> I'm not a shark and you can like me and you can, you know, be your creator self around me. So it's just funny for us all to feel like we're on the outside, which is silly, but it is what it is. I know it is. It is. And I, I think it's just wherever uh, I feel I don't have all the knowledge, I feel outside of that, whatever that is. Right. And I think that works for everyone, probably. And being in a business now and having a business where there's just um, a lot more insider, in my opinion, right from my content perspective, <laughs> I feel like I have this insider look on how everything works together. Whereas a creator, all you want to do is just create and make new things. And yeah. that's it. Like, yeah. You know, but if you want people to know who you are and you just not know who other people are, then you've got to get yourself into that that space of understanding the other side, right? Whatever those other sides are, and there's more than there's usually more than one. So that has been really fun to to be on the inside of that. And now I'm sort of infatuated with entrepreneurship as well, because that's a very creatory space too, uh, in its own right. Yeah, there's there's endless opportunities to feel somehow humbled and empowered all at the same time. And yeah. I think that is like the essence of life, isn't it? <laughs> if you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. Exactly. And I wouldn't trade either. I think both are so wonderful to experience. And I think we need both as human beings to grow. And if you're someone who wants to grow, and if you're listening to this, you probably are, then it's okay right, to have have both experiences and they can live together at the exact same time, which is strange at first, but. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of it. times I'm crumpled up in the fetal position on my couch with a blanket over me just going, what have I done with my life? But, you know, they're less than the good times. Yeah, I've had those experiences where I feel that and then all these amazing things happen that very same day. It's strange how that so much can happen in such a short period of time. And then the next day happens and it's yes. a new version of that. It's yes. so fascinating. It can happen mm -hmm. really quickly. That's such a good point. And it does. And you don't, I, one thing that I've, I've noticed recently is that when you're working in isolation, like we all have for the past year, most of us have, you don't realize like how much you're actually accomplishing. You're probably working your butt off and you don't give yourself credit for it. When my parents were here over the holidays, my mom's like, I can't even believe what you accomplished in a day. And I was just felt so good for somebody to see that, like, you know, if I feel like I've done nothing, she's like recounts to me all the things she heard me do. And I just, you know, it's nice to have any feedback, even if somebody doesn't know what you're doing yeah. to hear like, wow, you did a lot. It's just you forget that. And, you, and it's hard to tell yourself that it is. And um it's great to have a witness. It's what I call someone witnessing my life. It's it's in isolation. You don't feel like there's a witness. And I think that's what you and I found in each other yes. originally is like, oh, f someone who will understand this journey I'm embarking on right now wow. because I didn't know anyone else doing that. Wow. And you were the only other female uh, company in the space at the time starting something like I was starting and on different sides of the spectrum, but totally complimentary. Work, could work together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and that worked out really nicely, I think. But just this idea of having someone there who I can say some jargon to or even, or, or talk about my day and, 
and vice versa and it's not lost on on either person and there's someone there to witness it yeah we know the same people so we can be like oh yeah what about this guy what about this guy fun. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, I, I actually wanted to ask you about your self-care because for me, the it's it's been a struggle through this experience to maintain self-care because there is so much that always has to be done. And it usually is a, well, I'm bootstrapping so far and it's a one person show a lot of the time. And as you grow, it's not as much, but it's still still struggling to maintain that self-care. I just wanted to ask what's that been like for you? Great question. I've had to learn a lot. I have to say, like when I first started the company, I celebrated small victories a lot. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, drinking and partying and just thinking like, oh, I deserve this. I, you know, I'm doing something so difficult. So I deserve this. And, you know, thinking that I was exhausted from doing, you know, my job, but I was just doing too much extracurricular stuff. And that's why I was exhausted. So over the course of the pandemic, I've had the opportunity to like slow down. And I've learned that when I'm not drinking and when I have a clear head, I can be much more effective and I can get so much more done when I'm trying to do things and be productive, like be present when I'm sitting down to work and And it turns out that actually, even as an entrepreneur, I have a lot more time on my hands. So I think that self-care, it's a journey that I've had to learn, but I only felt overextended when I was overextending myself in, you know, non-productive places. Now I, you know, I I even take a nap during the day sometimes and I'm an entrepreneur. I would never consider that before. I would think, no, I have to be like grinding, grinding, grinding all the time. But that grinding just resulted in like no productivity and really, you know, just kind of I suffered in all areas of my life. So now like, I'll take an hour and do Pilates during the day, which is I don't feel bad about it, because it helps me to be good. Right to show up as your whole self. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think during the pandemic, I think that it could go either way, like you could drink a lot. And, um, you know, I just, it's been kind of easy to kind of I guess, clean up my act, as you could say, during the pandemic, because you're not, you know, encouraged, or there's not all these events where it's like, come have happy hour, you know, and then I was the person at happy hour who would turn it into like a disco night, you know, and like, that's not, that's not a thing, like when you're 40, but it was for me for a time. So yeah, so to like cut the disco out, I mean, there's always disco in my heart, but (laughs) But, you know, to just um, to just not be even tempted and to not even be tempted by like any social gatherings or restaurants or whatever has been a nice break. Wow. That, that's there's there are light and bright sides to the pandemic. And I think that's one of them mm-hmm. for and it's different for each of us that the sides that we maybe got to improve or where we got to rest in a different way or whatever the thing was got to do something we normally wouldn't do or, you know, so I appreciate that that sort of explanation and how that served you and for sharing that yeah. in general. Cool. Yeah. Go to bed yeah. on time, drink lots of water, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I want to ask what, if you, someone who wants to start a business, someone who's thinking about entrepreneurship or just starting a venture of, of their own, whatever size or whatever that might be, do you have a little piece of advice you can give them? Sure. 
So be bold and swashbuckle your way through it and do things that people tell you that you can't, absolutely, but do it in a measured, responsible way where you can bring people along with you. They're not just thinking you're absolutely insane and, you know, you'd be a little insane. So absolutely do that. And, you know, because if people are uncomfortable with an idea, it's probably new and people don't take to change, you know, like people are uncomfortable with change. And yeah, if, if somebody says to you about your idea, well, nobody else is doing that. Well, that's why I'm doing it oftentimes. Right. So, so that's one thing. And then the other practical piece is just learn how to do the math of like banking and like learn what accounts payable and receivable are, because it took me a while to learn that language. And, um, everybody likes to be paid on time and everybody likes to, you know, know where they stand. So just be responsible about the business part of it because it is actually a business. So treat it like a business is my other piece. Fantastic. That's really great advice. So be willing to take the risk and be willing to treat it like a business. Yes. Even if it's creative because there's a lot of creative people that listen and yes. it's okay to do, to have both at the same time. It's not it's selling okay out. a creative business. Yeah, it's not selling out. It's like exactly the, re- the difference between my business surviving and not surviving is because I learned how to run like a balance sheet and may- I mean, my business wouldn't have survived had I not done that. Yeah, exactly. It's it, There's a reason systems and organization why that stuff works it just does not selling <laughs> out yeah once you once we learn that stuff it's not selling out no. yeah thank you for that and speaking of your company speaking of selling out there's some news <laughs> that you can share yeah <laughs> speaking of selling out no 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 speaking Completely. of keyword selling <laughs> <laughs> all of the above yeah so i got a job i you know a, run lipstick and vinyl for three years. Right now I'm going through the due diligence process with another company um, who's buying uh, lipstick and vinyl. And if things stay the way that they are laid out now, they'll keep the brand and they will add their existing female shows to lipstick and vinyl and they'll grow it and continue to, you know, make money for the creators on the network. And that would just be tremendous, but I've never done this before. Right. So I don't know what falls apart during this stage, But, and I've been balancing that with, I was offered a new job and it just kind of came at the right time. I needed to raise a couple million dollars to make lipstick and vinyl grow the way that it can and the way it deserves to. And I didn't, I didn't accomplish that in the past, like nine months is when I, when I kind of gave myself that time timeline. And so, um, you know, you, you have to make decisions for your life and for what's good for you and be exhilarating thrill of not knowing how you're going to, you know, cover things at the end of the month. It's cool for a while, but, you know, I'm 42 now and I'm, you know, I kind of exhausted all my resources building and keeping alive lipstick and vinyl. And so I wouldn't change anything, but I, you know, came to a point where it wasn't something I was going to be struggling like for my life to continue to run, it needed help, right? So excitingly enough, it kind of, you know, intersected me making the decision of I need to find someone else to run this company. It just kind of intersected with finding this opportunity at iHeart. So I've really sold out to work for the man. But what's cool about it is (laughs) I get to be creative. I get to be strategic because 
when you have the comfort of a salary again, you don't have to worry about feeding yourself and you can actually focus on doing cool work, which is something that is a luxury to me now. Like I appreciate it so much. And like, I just realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to have $400 more a month because I don't pay for my own health insurance. That's pretty tremendous. Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And Thank just to you. give some insight, we're recording this on March 23rd. So you're going as, as you're listening, it's it's going to be a couple of months later. So um, we'll see what happens. I but hope you have good I'm, news. I'm sure it'll go smoothly. We, we will. I, I feel it. It's going to be great. <laughs> That's right. No matter what happens, yes. you're going to survive and you're going to know what to do. You always will survive. Yes. Yeah. The, the intuitive side of you has taken inventory of the things you've learned along the way and navigated yourself into the next thing and the next thing. And that's that's hard to do, to trust that. And even if it doesn't always work out the way we expect, most things don't. So it's all about, you know, following following the thread that feels right and taking the risk and making sure you have some some ducks in a row if you can like your great advice that you gave know a little bit about business if you can before you completely jump right in but yeah no thank you so much for saying that the risk yeah thank you so much for saying that because I you know I keep saying I never had a plan but when you put it in the way you so lovely put it about following your gut along the way that that is what I did actually so thank you for making that feel like actually something that I can honor and something that's good that I did, even if I didn't know that's what what I was doing, but you just made me feel really good about that. Thank you. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And from this perspective, uh, I feel that that's what I've been watching throughout your journey. Wow, you're a nice friend. That's really (laughs) nice. I hope it's helpful to people. I hope this is helpful to people. It is because I know what it's like to, to to just feel the scary feelings while you're in the process of something. And again, without the witness and someone telling you like, yeah, yeah, like I see where this is coming from. I know what that feels like. And to have someone say, yeah, yeah, like this is what it's coming from. And you're consistent in that. And that's good to know. It's good information at the least, whether it, may, it feels good or not. It's just good information. So message to the listeners. <laughs> if you are lucky enough to have Christina Barcy as a friend, you're going to be fine. <laughs> that's my biggest advice. <laughs> Find her. Well, speaking of connecting, how can we connect with you? How can someone who's listening connect with you? Oh, that's lovely. So I live a lot on Twitter these days, actually. So I'm Allison, S-S-A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-S-S on Twitter. On Instagram, it's my first name and then two awkward underscores and then my last name. So maybe show notes is good. Allison underscore Marino (laughs) on Instagram. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Thank you for that. Allison, this has been amazing. I'm so glad that you joined me. Me too. Thank you. This was really, really fun. I really hope it's helpful to um, some listeners and what a cool process. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Be Bold Begin. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so as not to miss an episode. So the best way to ensure you get all the new episodes is by subscribing. Help us build a positive community by joining the Facebook group, also called Be Bold Begin. I'll be checking it daily to answer and acknowledge any of your questions and comments. Stay positive and safe out there.